Welcome to the Dr. Dez Says It's All Your Immunity podcast. Which COVID-19 vaccine is the best for you? The operative words in the title of this episode are for you. You see, no vaccine or therapeutic is 100% guaranteed to cure you of an infectious disease or alleviate the symptoms of disease. Another point that is important to make is that just as each person is unique, his or her immune system that is tasked with fighting the disease is just as unique. The immune system, like a person, is shaped by its environment, including access to health care, the early screening for disease, and the continued monitoring for better health outcomes. What the body has experienced before in terms of infection, injury, and disease, as well as a person's overall health. The point simply is that no one vaccine is going to work the same on two different people. But there are some generalizations that we can use to help guide people on their decision-making process. There is also the problem of vaccine availability due to the unprecedented nature of trying to get 6 billion people vaccinated before the world is inundated with the new variants of SARS-CoV-2 or even new viruses. We will look at all the factors that can affect one's vaccine choice, including the vaccine type, one's problems taking vaccines in the past, and the effectiveness of vaccines if one is immunocompromised. I have a disclaimer for you. I'm not giving medical advice. All medical decisions need to be made by you, your doctor, and any close circle of friends and family who are your advisors. I'm giving you the latest CDC recommendations and my knowledge of the science of immunology and vaccine development that is behind the medicine. Today, we're going to talk about four vaccines in particular. The mRNA vaccine from Pfizer and BioNTech, the mRNA vaccine from Moderna, the AstraZeneca Oxford University vaccine, and the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. I would like to take a closer look at the Sputnik vaccine from Russian scientists, the two vaccines from China, and a vaccine from India. However, I do not have enough preliminary data from their initial vaccination trials. When I do, we will continue this series based on those vaccines. As anyone who has listened to this podcast knows, we have discussed messenger RNA vaccines in great detail, but I will briefly summarize it here. 
messenger RNA vaccines use a synthetic piece of the SARS-CoV-2 virus called the spike protein. The spike protein is the part of the virus that docks on to your cells. This is the crucial step before the virus can enter and infect your cells. The messenger RNA vaccine enters the body where your cells begin making the spike protein and then presents the finished product to the cells of your immune system. The cells of your immune system recognize this spike protein as a foreign and dangerous molecule. As a result, the immune system mounts a response and remembers how to mount this specific defense when it faces the actual virus. The vaccine has instructions for its disruption after the spike protein is made. So the body gets to practice combating the virus with a controlled molecule like the vaccine based on the spike protein instead of facing the strong, uncontrolled, and dangerous SARS-CoV-2 virus. Now, let's look at the pros and cons of these messenger RNA vaccines. One of the pros of taking this vaccine is that the technology for messenger RNA vaccines uses a synthetic piece of the virus and not the actual live virus. So people who are immune compromised or are on immune suppressants will not have to be exposed to a live virus that could overwhelm their weakened immune systems. Another advantage of taking these vaccines is that both do not use conventional preservatives to stabilize the vaccine like the preservatives used in the past that caused people to have an extreme life-threatening adverse reaction. The components of the messenger RNA vaccines are the messenger RNA molecule itself, a lipid coat to hold the RNA, and a buffer which is made of a salt and sugar solution commonly called PBS, which stands for phosphate buffered saline. The lipid coat is actually just a fat molecule, much like a droplet of your standard cooking oil. It has a specific duty to deliver the molecule of messenger RNA through your cell's protective barrier. The protective barrier of your cell is called a lipid bilayer. The messenger RNA lipid coat attaches to this lipid bilayer, which is also a fatty substance. The like substance of your cell absorbs the lipid coat of the vaccine and thus the messenger RNA is allowed to enter the cell. Another advantage is that both vaccines have proven over 94 to 95% effective against SARS-CoV-2 virus. This high efficacy is important with the increasing surge in the viral variants. With vaccines having such a high effectiveness, any small change in its efficacy due to the changing dynamics of the virus will not change the overall effectiveness of the vaccines. Plus, both of these vaccines have been tested against the UK and South African variants. Both vaccines remained highly effective against both variants. If the effectiveness falls below the point where these vaccines are less effective, 
The technology for messenger RNA vaccines is designed in such a way that scientists can quickly recode the vaccine so that the later iterations of it, and more specifically to its spike protein, can effectively mimic the virus and the variants, and thus be more effective against the disease. The cons of this vaccine are a mix of big and small problems. One problem is that no matter how safe and effective these vaccines have been in preliminary trials and tests, only a small fraction of a worldwide population have been tested. This will be the first time in human history that these types of vaccines will be used to fight an infectious disease. So anyone taking the vaccine this year or in the next few years are truly pioneers of science. But as the numbers of people taking this vaccine grow, it has to be understood that there are greater chances of finding more side effects. A second problem is that the vaccine's availability is severely limited because of the demand. It is very daunting to try to inoculate the entire world, but it has to be done. And the ability of countries that have more remote areas with extreme weather and an underdeveloped power grid might find the conditions for keeping these messenger RNA vaccines untenable. This type of vaccine uses a very unstable molecule in RNA, and it contains no preservatives to keep it. Therefore, the vaccines have to be stored in cold or ultra-cold freezers. People who find themselves in the extreme environments I mentioned a few moments ago may not have access to these COVID vaccines at all. the messenger RNA vaccines, I have not devoted an episode to the Johnson & Johnson nor the AstraZeneca Oxford University vaccines. However, full episodes will be released as these vaccines get approved in the United States. So look out for these episodes because they're coming shortly. The difference between the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine, and the messenger RNA vaccines are that the Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca vaccines are what scientists call viral vector vaccines. They use DNA as the foundational genetic material for the vaccine instead of the messenger RNA. Already you might be able to see one advantage in that DNA is a much stronger, more stable molecule and does not have to be stored in cold and ultra-cold freezers. This makes these viral vector vaccines more viable to more populations around the world that cannot access the cold storage freezers or facilities. Now I'm going to give you a very broad outline to describe how viral vaccines work. The genetic information inside a viral vector vaccine 
which is DNA, is actually a short, linear piece of double-stranded DNA. In both the Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca vaccines, the DNA is taken from a fairly benign virus called the adenovirus, which is known to cause some common colds. This adeno-DNA will have the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein code incorporated or engineered into its DNA. This process is called recombinant DNA technology or DNA engineering. It is called recombinant because scientists are combining the genes for the spike protein with the adenoviral genes on its DNA. So why go through all this? Because scientists want the adenovirus DNA to be the conduit, the carrier, or better yet, the vector for getting the spike protein of the COVID-19 disease into your cells. So instead of having that lipid coat like the messenger RNA vaccines have, what's actually getting the spike protein message across your cells is the adenovirus DNA. It's actually carrying the code for the spike protein. Your cells then engulf the adenovirus with the spike protein genes. There, the cell delivers the DNA to your cell's nucleus. Your cell can then begin to transcribe the genes or that portion of the DNA with the spike protein into a messenger RNA form. All I want you to really remember is that DNA, a genetic material, is transcribed into messenger RNA. The messenger RNA is then translated into protein. So those are the three important points. After being transcribed, the spike protein messenger RNA gets tagged so it can leave a person's nucleus, but it can never return to the nucleus. This is important because you do not want the spike protein to be incorporated into your core-based DNA, which is your overall genetic code. Outside the nucleus, the cell's machinery translates the messenger RNA into the spike protein during a process called translation. The rest of the process closely mirrors what happens with the messenger RNA vaccines. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine is a recombinant viral vaccine that uses a live and weakened adenovirus as the vector for the spike protein. The AstraZeneca vaccine, on the other hand, uses an attenuated, which is a fancy word for modified, version of the adenovirus, which is not the strong, virulent, live virus. So I bet you see some drawbacks to these vaccines. Since it uses the live adenovirus that can cause the common cold, your body, or more specifically, your immune system, may have already seen it. And at that previous point, it developed an immune response and remembers it during a current infection. If this is the case, then your cells will not take up the adenovirus, 
that has the spike protein incorporated in it because antibodies against the adenoviral vector will neutralize it before it can work effectively. This weakens the effectiveness of the vaccine. This may be why initially the efficacy rates were lower at 66% for the Johnson and Johnson vaccine compared to the messenger RNA vaccines. However, looking more deeply into the preliminary findings, we see that the vaccine conferred immunity to severe COVID disease at a rate above 80%, which makes it a good candidate for those in high-risk categories for severe disease, such as people above 65 years of age, having COPD and other pulmonary diseases, having heart disease, diabetes, and having hypertension. And currently, Johnson & Johnson is testing to see whether a booster shot can increase the initial effectiveness of its vaccine. Another positive note for the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is that it remains highly effective against the South African and UK variants. And among the lower-cost vaccines, this development could place it among the premier vaccines in the world against COVID-19 when it is approved more broadly. Researchers at the University of Oxford, who partnered with AstraZeneca, built their vaccine using a modified adenovirus strain that causes colds in chimpanzees. When the researchers adapted their chimpanzee adenovirus for COVID-19, early clinical trial results did not reveal any adverse reactions. However, in phase three trials, Testing had to be paused twice when volunteers experienced neurological problems. The Food and Drug Administration in the United States did not directly connect the vaccine to the problems, but when the agency allowed the trial to resume, it advised the company to be on the alert for any signs of similar problems. There are several good points to this vaccine. It, like the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, can be distributed widely because it does not require ultra-cold storage. This vaccine has over 80% efficacy against mild to moderate COVID disease. And a true breakthrough with this vaccine that I haven't seen with the others is that it is close to 100% in preventing the transmission of the virus. This could be a game changer in the quest to achieve herd immunity and finally quell this pandemic. So let me explain this. You can be immune from COVID disease after vaccination, but can still intake the virus that can linger in your nose and throat. And you can also shed this live virus as you speak, cough, yell, sneeze, etc. It would not infect you because the vaccine will have taught your body how to mount an immune response through antibodies, but it has not killed the virus. So vaccinated people have the potential of continuing to spread the virus. But if the results from the AstraZeneca vaccine 
old, there are signs that the vaccine prevents the live virus from shedding. But more studies need to occur in order to reveal how this is happening. A significant drawback is the large loss of efficacy against the South African COVID variant. This fact led to the vaccine being discontinued in South Africa at the time of this recording. If this variant becomes the dominant strain of the virus around the world, it could reduce the AstraZeneca vaccine as a viable go-to vaccine in the fight against COVID-19. So in conclusion, every vaccine has its strengths and its weaknesses. Some may only be available depending on where you live or which variant is dominant where you live. The messenger RNA vaccines seem to have a remarkably high efficacy among a wide demographic of people across ages, ethnicities, and races. The vaccines don't use live virus of any kind, and they remain effective against the variants. And should it be the case that their effectiveness drops against variants, these vaccines use a type of technology that allows the small changes in the vaccine's genetic code that can relatively and quickly restore the efficacy of the vaccine. The recombinant viral vaccines can potentially be available to a greater amount of people around the world because their storage conditions are not as stringent as those with the messenger RNA vaccines. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine is not as robust in its efficacy initially, but over time it seems to confer a greater immunity for severe COVID symptoms and does better with the viral variants. The AstraZeneca vaccine confers over 80% efficacy, possibly cuts down on the transmission of COVID-19. But the new, but the news that it is not as effective against the South African variant can severely dent its widespread viability if the South African strain becomes the dominant strain in a particular area or around the world. But no matter what, I encourage you to get any vaccine as long as you consult with your doctor. Any protection is better than none. Therefore, all of these vaccines thus far seem to be doing the job well. Again, I'm Dr. Desiree Barrett. It was a pleasure talking with you today. And like I said, Look for episodes about the Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca vaccines individually. We'll go into a little more detail on them and look at some more uh, pluses and minuses behind each vaccine. And we'll also compare uh, different vaccines coming from Russia, China, and India. So until the next time.
This is Dr. Desiree Barrett or Dr. Des. To those that follow me on the YouTube channel, it's All Your Immunity with Dr. Des. And at Twitter, at Dr. Des Says One. And as always, I wish you health and some food for thought. And remember, Dr. Des says, it's all your immunity.